This morning, we're going to be looking uh, or discussing Thanksgiving. Now, uh, you know, as a preacher, you know, I had the opportunity to either preach a lesson about Thanksgiving before the Thanksgiving holiday or afterwards. And uh, this time around, I chose to do it afterwards. So hopefully you aren't Thanksgiving out. Uh, this, this morning. Hopefully you still have some uh, room for it uh, to, to think about it and to speak about it. But, you know, the Thanksgiving weekend has been upon us. Uh, it's again, you know, it's a time to reflect on things. And for some of us, it's, you know, it's all about those three F's, right? Family, food and football. Uh, but, but, you know, maybe you enjoy it because of the time away from work that you get or the little bit of rest. Or maybe if you hosted Thanksgiving this year, you probably didn't get that rest or, or, or that, uh, that, that work away. But, you know, I'm sure we can easily find things, if we really think about it, of things to be thankful for. When I think of uh, those in Scripture who have been richly blessed, I think about King David. King David was probably one of the most richly blessed individuals that we read about in Scripture. Uh, we see that when he stops and he reflects upon his blessings, uh, you know, the, the great kingdom that he had and the power and the victories and the riches. You know, and we recognize that when we read uh, the, the, the stories of David and the Psalms that he constructed and the, 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 the lyrics and the prayers that he prayed, that we see over and over again him giving thanks to God. We, again, uh, we see that throughout his psalms, you know, he, he wrote almost half of the psalms. The, book, uh, the, the psalm book contains 150 psalms, and he almost wrote pretty much half of those, 50%. And those are things that throughout his writings that he is giving thanks to God. And, of course, you know, the Bible in the Old Testament and the New Testament refer to David as a man after God's own heart. And so what we want to do this morning is look at a psalm of David. But however, if you see up here on the board, if you can read that, uh, we're not going to the psalm book. We're not going to the book of Psalms to get this psalm, but we're going to 1 Chronicles chapter 16, uh, where we're going to find, again, this psalm that David has put together. Again, this might be interesting because it's not in the, the psalms, but we find it in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. And so David is going to say uh, to the people here, let's... Let's learn this psalm together. Let's sing it together and let's give thanks to God. Let's let God know how thankful we are. But before we dive into that psalm this morning, let's, let's talk about the setting of this psalm. Uh, during this time, David is now king of Israel and he is moving the administration, the, the, the capital city, uh, from uh, Gibeah, which is where King Saul was. Remember, King Saul was the first king of Israel. He reigned there for 40 years. And after his death, David takes over. And now he's going to move the capital city from Gibeah to Jerusalem. First uh, Chronicles chapter 17, verse 9 actually tells us that God had a plan for this. God wants a place for the people, his people, to lay down roots and to uh, never to move again. That he's going to plant them there. And again, this is going to be Jerusalem. Well, in 1 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 1, we notice that uh, David builds a house for himself. He, he has a palace built for himself. Of course, again, David, uh, the king of Israel, the riches that he had, it's a splendorous house that he has. The king, Hiram, king of, of Tyre, uh, builds this, constructs this for him. In 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 1, uh, he's going to now build a house for the Ark of the Covenant. Notice First Corinthians or First Chronicles chapter fifteen verse one. Now David built houses for himself in the city of David, 
And he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. You know, we should make this note, you know, that that within Scripture, in the Old Testament, there are two arks mentioned. Of course, there's the ark, Noah's ark, uh, back in Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8. And, of course, this is the great ship that that the animals are on and Noah and his family are on. When God sends the rain to destroy uh, the wickedness that was on the earth, that's the Noah's ark. But the ark of the covenant that we're referring to uh, this morning was more of a box-type structure. Uh, that would have held some things that were significant to the Israelite people. And it was inlaid with gold, and there was a lot of instructions that we'll talk about later that uh, the Israelite people, only certain Israelites could touch these uh, things, uh, or else death would have occurred. Uh, but, but we see here that David wants a house or a place, a structure built for the Ark of the Covenant. You know, because the ark represents the very presence of God. It's as if he is in their midst. And when they were traveling in the wilderness, we remember that, you know, the tabernacle moved around with them everywhere they went. And the ark of the covenant was dead smack in the middle. It, It was that important to them. It was as if God was in their midst. Well, when we get to 1 Chronicles chapter 16, you know, um, David is about to uh, make a show of it, uh, that the ark has returned. And this isn't something that they're going to be doing quietly or in the dark, but they're going to, again, make a show of it. Because this is important that the ark has returned and he's going to get all the people involved. You know, David's going to tell them, stop what you're doing and we are going to give thanks to God and we're going to do it in song. And he assigns Asaph. We, we talked about Asaph a few months ago when we looked at a couple of his uh, psalms that he wrote. Asaph was David's um, director uh, or chief musician. You know, he was the guy who uh, spent time uh, creating, uh, writing psalms and uh, doing these things for David as well to help him. And, uh, and so David assigns him to oversee this. And so we get this psalm here in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 8 through 36. And you know, really what it is, is uh, they are pulling uh, three psalms from the psalm book. Uh, we don't have time to go back and look at here, but in Psalm 96, Psalm 105, and Psalm 106, basically they're taking those three psalms and creating a whole new psalm here in First Chronicles 16. You know, we, we might refer to it as a remix. You know, a musician takes a song and they kind of change it up a little bit, and that's what's going on here. And so... As we examine this psalm, of course, this psalm of thanksgiving, you know, again, we want to examine our hearts as well this morning. You know, we we need to give, because it's going to give us insight into who we are as God's people. You know, what we value, what is important. Insight into things that, if it was capturing David's heart and mind, it should be capturing our hearts and minds. And again, if not, you know, maybe we need to reflect upon that and maybe we need to look at making changes in our life. You know, the Hebrews writer said in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and tensions of the heart. The word of God is living and active and it, and it works today. And this, again, this is who God is. David is telling us through this the psalm and what he expects and what we need to give thanks for it. So we're going to notice these four uh, observations uh, this morning. First, let, let's read verses 8 through 13 together. First Chronicles chapter 16, starting in verse 8. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Speak of all his wonders. Glory in his holy name. 
Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Remember his wonderful deeds which he has done, his marvels and the judgments from his mouth. O seed of Israel, his servant, sons of Jacob, his chosen ones. First, we notice that God is thankful for God's provisions. David says uh, throughout this beginning of the psalm, he says, don't you remember all of the great things God has done for us, how he has provided for us throughout the years? And he says, be thankful for these wonderful deeds, these miracles, these judgments that he made in favor of you, Israel. And not just to be quiet about these things, but he says, make them known to the people around you. You know, we often uh, in our prayer lives or in our public prayers, you know, we'll often say things like, you know, thank God, thank you for our freedom. Right. And Israel would have done the same thing as well. They would have they would have prayed. Thank you for the freedom we enjoy from being out of Egyptian captivity. Later on, uh, when they go into Babylon, Babylonian captivity and come out of that, they would be thankful for that. You know, but there are those individuals uh, throughout Scripture uh, who could not pray those prayers. You know, we think of men like Daniel. Daniel was in captivity most of his life, and he could not freely worship God the way that, uh, that he would have liked to. Right? Daniel wouldn't have been able to thank God for the, those types of freedoms. But we, you know, we often thank God for things in our lives, not just for the freedoms we enjoy, but a lot of the times we focus on you know, those, the material aspects, uh, our homes, our jobs, our, our clothing, our, our family. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. These are good things to uh, pray about and be thankful for. But when we thank God for those things that, you know, he has physically uh, provided for us uh, in this life and, you know, we're taking inventory of those things. Again, that's not a bad thing and it would be selfish not to. But we limit our thanksgiving to God when we leave it to just those uh, types of prayers. Again, don't dismiss them. Keep doing that, but add to them. Uh, Remember, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11 on the Sermon on the Mount, that, that, you know, God knows how to give good gifts to his people. You know, he, he said to them, you being evil, you know, you know how to give things, you know how to give good things to your children. Well, how much more will God in heaven give to those who he loves? You know, it, it might not take the form uh, or the shape of things that we would like. But of course, again, God knows best. I mentioned this verse Wednesday night, First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 18, where Paul wrote in everything, give thanks. Right? Paul is saying, even when you're on top of the world, give thanks, or when you're down at the bottom, give thanks. Uh, not just about your home and your job and those things, but at all times, give thanks. You know, that reminds me of, uh, of a story of a woman named uh, Corey Tenboom. Corey Tenboom, uh, there was a book written about her life called The Hiding Place. She wrote this actually about her life, about her family uh, when they lived in the Netherlands. Uh, during World War II, they were some of those individuals who helped hide uh, the, the Jewish people from the Nazis who were coming you know, door to door to ask uh, if they knew of where any might be or if they were hiding them. And of course, at, at one point, it was discovered that their family was actually doing this, that they were helping uh, the, some of the Jewish people hide out. And so uh, Corey and her family, they were arrested. They were sent to concentration camps. And in the story, it talks about how they were placed into her and her family were placed into this cramp, uh, dark, disgusting barrack. You know, all they had to sleep on was this 
uh, straw that was laid out on the floor, and even worse, you know, it got worse than that. This barrack was infested with fleas. But one of the things that they were able to do is they were able to, uh, you know, sneak in a Bible into the barrack, and they had plenty of time to read and study the Bible and even evangelize to those around them. And there was this one part of the story where it talked about when she got to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Again, in everything, give thanks. And they were discussing this with each other, and they said, you know, we have a lot to be thankful for. Uh, we have a Bible. You know, we're together. Again, let's give thanks to God for these things. And Corey said, but there's no way in the world I'm giving thanks for those fleas. But soon, soon they began to notice week after week after week that, you know, the soldiers weren't coming in to harass them. Uh, they were going into the other barracks, but they weren't coming in to harass them. And they were able to, you know, read their Bibles uh, with, without persecution, uh, without fear. And later on, she actually found out why that was. She, the, a guard had told her why they never bothered her and her family. And that, you know what that guard said? There's no way we were going into those barracks. It was infested with fleas. And Corey and her sister soon began to pray, thank you, Lord, for those fleas. You know, we, we have a mindset that we only want to give thanks when we are up. Again, when we're up, but when we have what we want. But, you know, there are some times where we might be down here. Right? We, we might be down with the fleas. And that's God giving you something good that you just haven't recognized yet. Again, our God is a provider. We might not understand it in the moment, but be thankful at all times. Be thankful for the fleas. Make it known to, uh, to the world of all the things that God has done for you and I. Again, David was thankful for God's provisions. Let's look at verses 14 through 18. David continues, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever, the word which he commanded to us, a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac. He also confirmed it to Jacob for a statue, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as the portion of your inheritance. We're going to notice in this section that David is thankful for God's precepts. Are you thankful for God's precepts? His commandments, his laws that he has given down from heaven. Remember, uh, David desired to bring the ark to Jerusalem. Uh, that's where we are here in First Chronicles 16. He desires to bring it you know, next to his palace, to build a place for it, to have it here in Jerusalem. Uh, but when he goes about this, uh, we notice that you know, he, he ignores uh, God's precepts and laws. You know, we could go all the way back to the book of Exodus, chapter 25, when God is instructing the Israelites how to build this Ark of the Covenant. You know, he tells them the dimensions, uh, how to build it, how to, you know, inlay it with gold, to put these four rings on each corner of the Ark, and to have these two poles go through uh, those rings, because that is how they are going to carry it. Uh, they, they weren't to you know, put it on a cart and move it, but they were to carry it by men holding it upon the shoulders on those poles. And even in the book of Numbers, in Numbers chapter 7, verse 9, we're told that only the sons of Kohath, th these, were, uh, uh, these were Levites, uh, a specific family within the Le Levitical tribe, the Kohath, they were only allowed to carry such holy things. And in Numbers chapter 4, verse 15, we're told that if anyone touched these holy objects, such as the Ark of the Covenant, that they would die. 
Well, if you're still in 1 Chronicles, in 1 Chronicles chapter 13, and we also read about this account in 2 Samuel 6, is the story of Uzzah. You know, we've talked about Uzzah before in some sermons, but Uzzah, you know, he is sort of in charge of bringing the, the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. David has him do this. And we remember uh, the account as uh, they placed the ark again on that fresh new cart uh, that, w- that was built. Again, not carrying it on the poles like they were in- told to back in Exodus. But they put this on a cart and an ox is carrying that cart. And remember the cart stumbles or the ox stumbles and the cart begins to tip over. And Uzzah reaches out with his hand to prevent it from falling. He touched the ark. An innocent mistake, right? All was forgiven, right? No, no. We remember from that account that God's anger burned against the Israelites and then Uzzah died at that moment. And it was at that moment that David realized that I should have listened and followed the precepts of God. You know, David at that point, he's going to have a brand new appreciation for God's laws. Because in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, He's going to attempt to bring the Ark of the Covenant back again. But notice this time his tune has changed. First Chronicles chapter 15, verse 2 says, Then David said, No one is to carry the Ark of God but the Levites. For the Lord chose them to carry the Ark of God and to minister to him forever. And then notice verse 13. Because you did not carry it at the first, the Lord our God made an outburst on us, for we did not seek him according to the ordinance. Again, Uzzah was the, the wrong person and using the wrong method. And God was mad about that and struck him dead. And, and because of that, David uh, goes uh, back to the word of God, uh, finds out what he needs to do to get to the ark to Jerusalem. This time they follow God's precepts and everything works out. And again, you and I, we need to be thankful for God's word as well, for the laws that he has given us. It, just because he has given us rules and things to such follow, you know, that means he cares for us, right? That means he loves us. You know, a parent, a parent, we understand this, right? We, we restrict our children from eating, you know, too much junk food or watching too much entertainment or, or hanging out with certain individuals or, or, you know, we give them bedtimes, right? Because we love our children. We want to discipline them and make, keep them safe. And we see the same nature in God as well. Right? He knows what's best for us. He has infinite wisdom. He shares it with us. He wants us to know him. This is who I am and what I am about. And I'm not out to get you, he says, but I'm here to bless you. And again, we have no reason to grieve his commandments. As hard as they may sound, as unusual as they may look, we have no reason to grieve. Embrace his precepts and be thankful for them. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, he said, For this is the love of God, that we, commit, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Friends, God, or excuse me, David is thankful for God's precepts. And again, they are not burdensome. Let's, let's notice the third thing that God was thankful for in verses 19 through 22. This time he's going to focus on God's people. Verse 19, when they were only a few in number, very few and strangers in it, and they wandered from nation to nation and from one kingdom to another people, he permitted no man to oppress them. And he reproved kings for their sake, saying, do not touch my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation. 
from day to day. You know, again, in First Chronicles chapter 13, the first time they tried to bring the ark into Jerusalem, and then in chapter 15, the second time, one of the things David does is he gathers all the people together. Uh, he, he wants them there for these moments. He wanted them to be together so that they could give God thanks collectively. And of course, we know that's a, that's a biblical concept that we read about in the New Testament. Of course, Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 41 through 47, talked about how the early church met uh, pretty much every day with one another, giving thanks to God. They were constantly strengthening each other, encouraging one another. Notice with me in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 15 through 17. I know we're jumping into the, the New Testament here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, starting in 15. Uh, notice that Paul is praying for the unity of the church. And he says this, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mentioning of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. You know, it's a special thing to be a part of the body of Christ, Paul says. And he is continually praying for that unity between them. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 33, when Paul was writing to the church at Corinth and talking about, uh, when, you know, when you come together to eat the Lord's Supper and to commune, you know, wait for one another and consider, you know, consider what it means to be a family. Again, we, we understand why David wanted to bring all of Israel together uh, during these moments, because it was a special moment for them to give thanks to God. And we need that renewed thanks in the body of Christ. You know, we need to be picking each other up, encouraging, building us up to greater heights. And look at verse 22 again in First Chronicles 16. I love this verse. Uh, do not touch my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. Are you not thankful for a God who says to the rulers and the princes of this earth, do not touch my people? You know, I've got their back. Uh, no matter how small they were, uh, from wandering from nation to nation, it talks about, you know, sometimes because of that, you know, we can feel small because of that. You remember in First Kings, uh, you remember the prophet Elijah? You remember that he, in chapter 18 of First Kings, he takes on the 450 uh, prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Remember that day-long process where they, they challenged each other to see who had the true God? And of course, uh, the, the prophets of Baal could do nothing. Their God never answered. But of course, uh, Elijah's God, the true God, uh, he, he brought fire down from heaven and destroyed the altar, the offering that was built, uh, that was made of stone and the fire going. And it was drenched in water. And remember, uh, Elijah's God brought that fire down, rained the fire down and destroyed uh, that sacrifice. And that must have been a great high for Elijah that, you know, he defeated those 450 prophets of Baal. Well, right after that, Queen Jezebel, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel are in charge at that time. And she puts out basically a hit on his life. And so Elijah has to run into the wilderness. And we're told in chapter 19, and he sits under this juniper tree and he asks God basically uh, to take his life. You know, he's in a bad place. He, he's tired. He's hungry. He's depressed. And we remember an angel comes and prepares a meal for him and he gets that substance he needs. And he goes on to Mount Horeb at that point, And, you know, the Lord asks him that question, you know, why are you here, Elijah? And remember Elijah's response. He says, 
God, I have been zealous for you, uh, but your people, they've forsaken you. Uh, They've forsaken your covenant. They're tearing down your altars. They're killing your prophets. And, you know, I alone am left and uh, they're seeking my life, too. It's just a bad deal. But then God says to him, no, Elijah, you still have work to do. I I need you to go anoint some of these kings. I need you to go train Elisha because he's going to be the the next great prophet after you. You know, I still need you. And guess what? Guess what, Elijah? You're not alone because he says in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 18, he says, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. You know, again, Elijah felt like he was alone that he was small, but God told him otherwise, that that God's people were still out there and that he had reason to rejoice because of that. And we can be thankful that we are not alone as God's people. You know, with one heart, we ought to give thanks that we are a part of something special. Again, a member of the body of Christ, a blood-bought institution, uh, the bride of Christ. Are we not thankful for to be God's people? And then finally, we're going to notice shortly that David gives thanks for God's power. Notice in verse uh, 23 through 27, he says, Sing to the Lord all the earth, proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. For all the, the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. You know, we should be amazed, David said, amazed at his creation, at his creativity. You know, when he wrote Psalm chapter 8, verse 3, he said, you know, when I consider, consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, you know, David says, I am amazed. And then he says in verse 4, you know, what is man that you even think of him? Right? That, that you've created all these things. This is, again, this is the same God today that was a work, uh, at work at that time as well. His immeasurable power and greatness is, is seen. You know, Paul said it differently in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. He said that God is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Now, that's our God that we serve, that he can do far more abundantly than we even ask or think. And you and I should be amazed, again, entirely amazed at his power to save. You know, he mentions there in verse 23 and in verse uh, 35 about his salvation. God has the power to forgive sin, to grant salvation. You know, Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says that I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to everyone who believes. And then also David reminds the people how we express our thanksgiving to him. Look at verses 29 through 31. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in holy array. You know, he says, bring an offering. You know, we do that today. As the Hebrews writer says in verse uh, chapter 13, verse 15 of Hebrews, you know, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that gives thanks to his name. You know, offer that sacrifice. Verse 30 says, tremble before him, all the earth. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. Show reverence, right? Profound awe for our God. This is a big deal. And then verse 31, David writes, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice and let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Again, tell everyone the Lord reigns. Rejoice in that power. Does your life 
and your worship here this morning express that sort of gratitude towards God? Well, as we conclude this lesson, verse 34, uh, the psalmist says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. You know, that, that really sums up this psalm. Thank you, Lord, you are good. And again, we ask ourselves this morning, what are we thankful for? You know, I hope David shares the same sentiments as us this morning, to be thankful for his provisions. Again, even if it's the fleas, to be thankful for his precepts, even if it's the toughest of commands, to be thankful for his people, even when we feel alone like Elijah, or to be thankful for his power, even his ability to create and to save. Again, let us be thankful people this morning, not just, you know, not just at this time of year in late November when, when you know, the world is um, celebrating Thanksgiving and such, but all year long. Let us be thankful. And then again, at the end of verse 36, uh, he says, or excuse me, then it says, as the people heard this song, as they finished the song of thanksgiving, the, then all the people said, amen, and praise the Lord. Again, let us be a thankful people. This morning, as we offer the invitation this morning, if you're here with us and not a New Testament Christian, we would love the opportunity to study with you, uh, show you what the Bible says to become a Christian, that we need to hear the word of God. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God, repent of our sins, confess Jesus as Lord, and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. And at that point, the Lord will add you to his church. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, uh, there's no better time than to, um, if you have a need to be made known, whether it's to ask for forgiveness or, or to uh, ask for the prayers, the encouragement of this congregation. Again, this is a convenient time to do that. Uh, please come forward as we stand and sing this song of invitation.